90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Uh, same thing you are doing. I know you asked Swimming. me how I am, but yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> yep, and my poor little, we went from like having hand, mud cracks that you could stick your hand in in my yard to my poor little chickens looking like actual like drumsticks. It's real sad. <laughs> yeah, we had um, a 75, a 79, and a 92 mile wind gust two days ago within a mile of our place. Yikes. Mm-hmm. It was, I've never been in a hurricane. Have you been in a hurricane? I have not. Yeah, I didn't think so. The, I, I feel like this is what it would have felt like. It was crazy. Like waves of rain being washed, and my dumb chickens were out in it. They didn't, they had full <laughs> access to protect themselves and did not do it. So, so yeah. So they weren't chicken. It, not even a little bit. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's been a crazy week, you know, normal May in Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, we had, you know, the anniversary of the May 3rd tornado, Mm -hmm. uh, and then we had the Greensburg anniversary now. So it is, it is mega tornado week. There have been quite a few tornadoes. There's been monster hail. We've been flooding here and are going to continue for the next couple days. Oh yeah, you are. (laughs) Because I'm flooding here and sending it your way, so. Correct. <laughs> I, you know, I need you to send some of that wind this way, though, because I need a new fence. <laughs> I see. Mm-hmm. That's what I was also hoping for, but that didn't happen this time. I'm very disappointed. Wasn't quite the right, right. angle. So I'll do my best. Yeah, we got to work <laughs> on that. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you the um, the cat and the dog have not been outside, and they don't seem to care. They're just like, nope, we'll sit here and watch the weather on TV. <laughs> When our dogs hear the thunder, they look at us and go, you know, we're going to poop in the house, right? (laughs) Awesome. Yep. That's awesome. My dog has the bladder of, I don't know, like of a Titanic warship or something. (laughs) Like, yeah, he would never, which is amazing. Cats, on the other hand, do it for spite. (laughs) Right. Because they're cats. (laughs) They don't even need to go. Yeah, correct. That is exactly right. (laughs) Um, yeah, so sorry for everybody that gets sick of us talking about the weather, but it's been very exciting this week. We live in areas where the weather is actually interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From day to day to day. And <laughs> well, that's why it's, you know, that's why you call it this month. It's, it's May because it may rain, it may freeze, it may snow, it may tornado, it may oh, hail. Oh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, my dad's going to love that one. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to all the dads. Yep. Out there. Um, I don't know if you get this. I definitely get this all day long. Shannon, what's the weather going to do? Shannon, what's the oh, weather yeah. going to do? <laughs> I'm like, I'm and just... then you pull up the phone, look at the forecast, and read it. <laughs> so yes, you do. <laughs> like, I'm just going to tell you what the weather service says, exactly like you could do yourself. But sure, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> Now, on a, on a good severe day, maybe I'll look at some models myself. Yes, that's true. I definitely read the mesoscale discussions from the SPC quite a bit more on on these days like today. And then I try to sound very intelligent and talk about tilting troughs and quickly ejecting short waves. And everybody's like, ooh. 
something about frontogenesis and I did regression draw... of the dry line overnight. Mm-hmm. I drew an including front and a warm sector the other day. I did do that. People oh. were asking me literally in the main office, and I grabbed a like <laughs> a crappy piece of paper off the copy machine that was like somebody's test and drew an including front and all that. And they're like, oh, oh. You say, let's talk about the Norwegian cyclone model. <laughs> I said, that was $50,000 in that five-minute lecture. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> do you have something exciting that we can also talk about? <laughs> I do. I think it's exciting. I am prepared for the collective groan. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about what is hardness, what is toughness, and <laughs> what is brittle or ductile, and how are they different, how are they related? Uh, because this is a pet peeve when I hear people oh, use man. the wrong word. I think this is our mutual friend Brett's pet peeve as well, and I can tell when students, <laughs> I'll have students as freshmen, and then they'll take Brett's class, and then they'll get in my class again. And then they correct me. I'm like, oh, yeah, you took Brett's class. <laughs> because, yeah, this brittle and ductile thing, I'm very interested to see what you have to say about that. But I will say that when you texted me and you wanted to talk about toughness, I thought we were going to have a very weird conversation about your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> or about finals week. <laughs> Right. No, neither of those. Okay. Uh, But I think we should start out with the one that probably gets used the most verbally, correctly or incorrectly, but the one that all geologists are familiar with, which is hardness. Okay. So you're talking about like Mohs hardness scale? Is that what we're talking about? Well, we're talking about hardness. Mohs hardness (laughs) scale is one way to measure hardness. But that is a measure of hardness. Okay. Got you. Mm -hmm. This is always a really weird thing to me, I will say. But I do use it as a field geologist all the time. So, Let's so hardness, technically, though you'll never catch a geologist saying this, <laughs> is how much a material resists plastic deformation. Oh, gosh. Yeah. We wouldn't say that at all. <laughs> no. So, to talk, what does that mean? We got to back up and talk about types of deformation. Okay. So, to me, something's going to bend or something's going to break. Well, but there's something before that, too, right? <gasps> uh, what is it before that? It's just linear elastic. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so you've got a spring. We'll, we'll use the simple example That's that true. everybody can relate to. Mm-hmm. For some values of how much you stretch or compress it, which we would call strain, mm-hmm. it goes back to like it was. You never could tell that it had been stretched or compressed. Right. So if you can do that, it's called elastic. And most of the time it's linear, so we say linear elastic. Okay. Meaning that if you pull twice as far, it takes twice as much force. Okay. That makes sense. None of this sense. weird exponential <laughs> power law uh, stuff. Uh, uh, uh. That's great. I will say that I love the spring constant. I always thought that was something that was very easy to understand. <laughs> okay, so... Good, because the spring constant is stiffness. Okay. 
which we're going to get to because it's related. All right. All right. Great. So that is linear elastic deformation. Then we start, what, what was the next thing that you said? So I said it's going to bend or it's going to break. Right. So then the bending part is mm-hmm. plastic deformation. We do not come back to our original dimensions, Mm -hmm. but we have not yet failed. Mm -hmm. All right. And then when you take everything away, you've got something that's deformed, not back to its original thing, but also not broken. Right. So this is when you pull the spring too far and it doesn't go back to how it was. Still looks like a spring, but. Right. Not like it, it used to It still be. has the same spring constant, potentially. Okay. Not guaranteed, but potentially. <laughs> uh, Makes sense. So when you transition, that point where you transition from elastic to plastic is called the yield point. Also makes sense. Now, there's also this thing called viscosity and viscoelasticity. We're not going to go there today. Oh, I like viscoelasticity. Yeah, we're going to stay in the shallow earth. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> the boring earth, you mean. <laughs> Ooh. You mean the I part can't. where all the earthquakes are? I know. I'm a sedimentologist. I can't say that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the PMAG part of me, you know. Go back to your piles of sand. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. So the yield point makes sense. And then after you plastically deform for some amount of time. You hit point break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> couldn't help it <laughs> that's what it should be called <laughs> but no oh. <laughs> it is the ultimate strength and that is where the sample fractures into two or more pieces okay so point break <laughs> point break i'm gonna i'm gonna write that down because that's probably a show title <laughs> i hope that I don't hope. I want you, <laughs> the next time you're programming a biax or a triax, that I want it to, like, scream out point break <laughs> whenever, <laughs> whenever failure occurs. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it seems good. <laughs> so we mentioned stiffness. Stiffness is, if you're looking at that elastic part, that part where the spring is still springy. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about, let's say the spring is made of spring steel. Okay. I can tell you what the elastic modulus of spring steel is. Okay. The elastic modulus. Go ahead. Well, there's a whole bunch of moduli, right? And these are just measures of different different things and different materials. Yeah, so the elastic modulus is that linear portion. Okay. And it's the stress-strain slope. So... That is the property of the material. No matter if I have a spring off a car or if I have a spring out of a ballpoint pen, if they're both made out of the same material, there's the same elastic modulus. Right. Stiffness is that stress-strain relationship for a given object. Okay. So granite has an elastic modulus. A core of granite that you took has a stiffness. Okay, that makes sense. That specific 
one you're you're the specific specimen you're studying because it's related to scale it's related to the shape if you could form granite into a spring shape it would have a different stiffness right like oh well okay a um a solid granite core or a granite core that you then core so now you have a granite tube a granite annulus if you will a granite annulus. <laughs> it's a pretty good That's show going to have title. a lower <laughs> Yeah. That's going to have a lower stiffness. Okay. But the elastic modulus is the same. It's still the same. That makes sense. All right. So, what does this have to do with hardness? Very little. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, this show is moving right along. Good job. Yeah. So no, hardness is how difficult it is to plastically deform a material. So it's related to that yield point. So this makes sense if the way, if you are a geology enthusiast and you know about Mohs hardness scale, that makes sense when you think about it because diamonds aren't going to elastically deform like talc does. And those are either ends of the hardness scale. Right. And so... What we're looking for, if you think about what does a material look like when it plastically deforms, it could be scratching it. Mm-hmm. So a scratch is plastic deformation of a material. Okay. Yeah. We are moving it out of the way. You don't drag a diamond along a piece of glass and the glass rebounds and you can't tell where it was. It leaves a permanent mark. Mm-hmm. So that's called scratch hardness. Okay, there we go. And the way that we use this in the field always has to do with quartz. Because in thin section, it's pretty easy to tell quartz from other things, not from some feldspars like orthoclase. Um, But orthoclase is softer than quartz. And just by awesome awesomeness, steel falls in between the hardness of orthoclase and quartz. So if you rub a rock on your hammer and it scratches your hammer, it's quartz. If it doesn't scratch your hammer, it's feldspar. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So. So Mohs hardness scale, those defined materials that you can scratch against each other or steel against quartz, that is a scratch hardness test. That is the hardness of a material. How hard is it to deform it in some way? All right. That makes There's sense. a lot of other tests. Um, indentation hardness is probably the second most common. We use this a lot for testing how hard metal is after heat treatment. Okay. Yeah, this seems like a materials issue now. Yeah. So you basically take a, either a ball or a diamond or a cone, or there's all these different prescribed shapes, and you press them into material with a certain force and you see how big of a divot they leave. Mm. If the divot's tiny, it's pretty hard material. If the divot's massive, it's a very soft material. That makes sense too. Yep. And there's lots of fun hardness scales. I was just going to ask. So I had seen this like Rockwell one, but then I started to look up more and there's like durometer and all kinds of weird stuff jenka hardness yeah (laughs) yeah so (laughs) the common ones the ones that so we deal with the rockwell hardness a lot okay that's common in metals um we deal with shore hardness a lot or durometer um 
for soft things like O-rings and plastics. Oh. Um, so a to measure shore hardness, it's something. You know, imagine a ballpoint pen with like four pounds on top of it. That's kind of what the shore hardness test looks like. You measure how far it presses into the material. Okay. So you're not going to measure the hardness of titanium. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Vickers and Brunel, they're kind of neat. Um, the, the Rockwell's pretty simple. It's commonly used. Um, the Vickers has a kind of a diamond-shaped thing, and you make an indentation that should look like a upside-down pyramid in the metal. Okay, yeah. And under a microscope, you measure the length of the sides of the pyramid. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, most of these are pretty old. Uh, they have vague units. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like, Vickers, you can actually get a number in Pascals. Oh, all right. It's not a pressure because it doesn't act normal to the surface because you're pressing a pyramid into metal. Mm-hmm. So, most people just say the unit. Uh <laughs> And Rockwell, there's a ton. Like Rockwell A, B, and C are common for what we do, but there's, I think, I know there's up through L. I think there may be more. Wow. Um, so normally you would see H something something. So like HV something is a Vickers hardness. HRC would be a Rockwell C scale hardness and so mm. on. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. And then there's rebound hardness, which is commonly used for like uh, concretes. Is that just a depth of deformation or what? what so called? rebound hardness, you drop a hammer, ah. basically, ah. from a fixed height onto the material, and you measure how high it bounces back up. God. Now, this is engineering that I can get behind. Well, so think about it. If the material plastically deforms, it's no longer that billiard ball elastic collision. Right. Mm-hmm. So the more plastic deformation the material has, the more energy went into the material, the less high the hammer rebounds. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just thuds down. So your hammer, fancy hammer tester thing, uh, you'll hear words like Schmidt hammer, and there's all these names for the actual thing. Oh, my gosh. Thing. Um, I think there's a Lieb hammer. Um, the generic name for a tester like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a scleroscope. I love it. <laughs> um, so there's a coral called scleractinian coral. So I wonder what hmm. sclero means. Okay, go for it. Scleroscope. Mm-hmm. Scleroscope. There's also a sclerometer, which is scratch hardness, which I actually like. It's the way I would prefer to do mineral hardness, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where you've got a little scratcher, hard scratcher, and it's a lever arm, and you put a weight at a different distance from the fulcrum. And you measure basically how much force has to be on the scratcher to leave a scratch. Oh, okay. Yeah. I could see that, but also, you know, does a steel nail or your rock hammer scratch it? Works really well, too. <laughs> it's true. All right. So that's hardness of materials. All right. That one makes sense to me. Okay, so what what do you have thoughts about toughness? I mean, I just assume you make the material in question that you would take it and you'd make it watch 
old yeller and see how fast it cries. <laughs> over and over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> but I'm guessing that's not it. <laughs> no, so I mean, if you okay, draw... So like, durability is what comes to mind. I haven't looked at this at all because I actually didn't know, so I wanted to learn with our audience on air. <laughs> so close. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm sure durability has some ASTM standard. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would. <laughs> so I'm gonna have so. to be careful here. <laughs> um, toughness. If if you draw that stress strain curve that has a straight line, where you're linear elastic, and then it starts curving over when you're plastic, and then it eventually stops when you break. Mm-hmm. The integral of that, so the area under it, is toughness. Oh, okay. Cool. And what that translates into physically is how much energy you can absorb before you break. Okay. Yeah. It's cape. <laughs> uh, sort of. <laughs> yeah, sort of. <laughs> okay. That's great. That makes sense. Oh, now, here's where it starts getting tricky. <laughs> What, so if you drop a, this will be a dated reference for some of you. If you drop a CD <laughs> on tile <sighs> and it shatters, what does that tell you about its toughness? Oh, that it must have gotten really cold at one time because its toughness is nothing. Well, so, okay, here's, here, here's the rub. Oh. To be tough, yeah. a material has to has be to... strong. Yeah. Okay. And ductile. And ductile. I was going to say the bendy part is what I'm missing in this. Gotcha. Exactly. Yep. So mm -hmm. we're we're doing an integral. So yep. the height on the y-axis, the stress before it breaks increases our integral. But also going to higher values of strain in the x-axis increases our integral. Gotcha. Yes. So you can absorb a massive amount of strain, but fail at a very low stress and not be tough. Mm -hmm. um, think about a rubber band. Mm -hmm. You can be very, very strong. It takes a lot of stress to break you, but any amount of strain causes instant failure and you're also not very tough yep Got so it. you have to be strong and ductile <laughs> okay great to so. be tough tougher shales are tough right now <laughs> i mean not well. th there there is <laughs> fracture toughness which is totally different and something we should talk about <laughs> okay fracture toughness has to deal with flaws and materials man if you don't uh, like semantics like, yeah, science isn't for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and people sometimes think this is, like, pretentious. Like, I especially get this with students when I correct, you know, the misuse of these words. But it is very important to know what you're saying and to say it correctly. So if you tell an engineer that the material <laughs> needs to be tough, but it, you don't specify a hardness. Right. 
you might not get something that works for your application. Not even a little bit, exactly. <laughs> um, there have been a couple of planes fall out of the sky because mm -hmm. materials were not the appropriate hardness. Right. Okay. okay, so toughness. It's the integral of stress and strain. That means that its unit, we actually have units, is a joule <laughs> per cubic meter. I like that unit. That makes sense. Or if you want to watch the world burn, it's inch pound <laughs> no, force per cubic inch. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just like in Paleo Mag amps per meter squared. What? <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. So that's what toughness is. To test toughness, again, Engineers like hammers. Uh, <laughs> you, you take a pendulum and you swing it at a sample and you subtract the height from which the pendulum fell from the height from which it rebounded and multiply that by the weight, and that's energy. Oh, my goodness. And yeah. that's how much energy was absorbed by the sample. By the thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, so if you want to look up the machines, look up a Charpy, C-H-A-R-P-Y, or IZOD impact test. Man, for real. Like, this seems like the most fun empirical data you could collect, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. They're like, let's make it sound fancy, and we're going to say we're going to swing this pendulum. But really, it's just a hammer on a stick that <laughs> we're going to throw at right. something. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Oh, I can already tell there's a bunch of videos I'm going to watch about the IZOD impact test. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so gotcha. this is, those are the fundamental differences between the two. Now, ductility and being brittle are how much strain you can take before you fail. Okay. So if you're a very ductile material, you can be stretched like taffy and not break. If you're a very brittle material, you're the CD falling on the tile floor. Right. But you can't say plasticky. You can't say plasticky because that's a type of deformation. <sighs> yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the one that I always get in trouble to with. And then you start getting these material scientists that start making up words like elastoplastic. <laughs> I appreciate that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, I tried to make a distinction when we were talking about lithosphere and asthenosphere, right? You know, with plastic deformation of the ductile material. But right. inevitably, I still accept plasticky material. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> So here's the neat part, I think. So we can measure these things about rocks. Normally we're measuring these things about metal because that's what the world's built of, mostly not rock. Mm -hmm. Well. Well, the human world. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay, so what makes a material hard, like physically or chemically, molecularly? What makes something hard? I'm assuming it has to do with the type of atomic bonds. A little bit. Mm. 
But a lot of times we start talking about the crystalline structure and okay. defects. That's the type of atomic bonds. <laughs> okay, fine. That's fine. Count it wrong, Dr. Lehman. We'll fight about I, these. I'll say, as, as, my, uh, <laughs> as my old chemistry teacher from high school would say, uh, half. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, so shapes and defects. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one of the ways that we make metals stronger or harder, rather, Almost, almost said a bad one there. Sure did. <laughs> yeah. So one of the ways that we can make metals harder mm -hmm. is by changing their grain size. Because they're rocks. Yeah, I get it. No. <laughs> um, right. So rocks are the same type of thing. Right. Smaller, stronger. Smaller grains, harder. Yeah. Not stronger. Oh, I did it. <clears throat> <laughs> and this is an effect called hull pitch strengthening. Okay. So the idea is grain boundaries are basically a no-pass zone for defects. And so if you've got tiny ones, you've got way more grain boundaries in existence. And, and the defects can't go very far. Therefore less, yeah, Okay. So defects are a whole nother show. <laughs> yes, for sure, because smoky quartz is my favorite quartz, so we could talk all about that. <laughs> <laughs> but defects are, you can think of them as errors in the crystal structure. Mm-hmm, for And real. they allow atoms to move around. Mm -hmm. And that movement of atoms is what makes a material plastically deform. This is why I was wrong, because it doesn't have to do with the exact type of atomic bonding, but basically a presence absence of that <laughs> bonding whether you've got a yeah, defect so, or not well you mean talk about it, is it an interstitial defect or a line defect right. or a, yeah oh anyway so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. defects moving are what make materials deform plastically if defects can't pass grain boundaries and you have teeny tiny grains defects can't go very far before they whack into a grain boundary and stop so the material can't deform very much plastically Therefore, by definition, it's hard. Man, this makes total sense. Sometimes I think, what did I learn in all these physics classes? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but like the fundamentals of this exact thing are what I learned. Yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. It also makes sense why like huge crystals that are all one crystal structure are very susceptible to deformation in their crystalline structure by irradiation or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the other catch is that there's also this inverse hull pitch effect. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. There's a limit, about 10 nanometers grain size, where everything goes backwards. Of course. And because then, forget the dislocations moving. Now the grains are so stinking big, they just slide against each other like move. sand. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And when I say so stinking big, you know, it's like I said, it's around 10 nanometers. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, my SEM's resolution? Like three microns, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this is one of those things where we... Like when we're doing metals, we'll heat metals up and then cool them. So it's just like rock. 
if very you cool, quickly. Quickly, you get tiny grains. Mm-hmm. So you see these knife makers on when you're watching Forged in Fire, pull a knife out of a furnace and just douse it in a barrel of cold oil so to get tiny grains. This oh. is that tempering steel. Is that the word I want, or no? No, that's adding no. stuff to it. Never mind. Forget well, it. no. So temp- tempering, yeah. Different topic. Uh. Yeah, yeah, different topic. Okay, but I was watching Game of Thrones the other night, and they were the blacksmith was doing his thing with the water. I'm like, oh, yeah, interesting. Now, one thing we do do a lot with certain materials is you'll heat treat them to get them strong. All right, well, to get them very hard. <laughs> and then you realize that you don't actually have the properties you want because now it's so hard it's brittle right and so the toughness of material is now low that is tempering so then you anneal it mm-hmm. okay and annealing is okay i've made this hard now i'm going to make it not as hard so it's pretty common in metalwork to heat treat something get it really hard and then you anneal it back a little bit until you get to where you want. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And you can see this in crystals too. Oh yeah. All this stuff. This. this oh, oh, we're we're working towards solid <laughs> solutions, man. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. <clears throat> okay. So another way you can get something to be very hard is by work hardening or strain hardening. Mm-hmm. This sounds familiar. Yep. So <laughs> this is you strain the material and it becomes harder because of dislocation movements and dislocation generation. All right. So as you're bending and plastically deforming this material, uh, you're generating new dislocations through couple of pretty neat methods and they're starting to pile up and tangle up and do all kinds of fun things it feels like by doing strain hardening you get very close to the failure point though too you can Hmm. you can also just get it really hard so we've had the case of not taking a heavy enough cut on metal that work hardens. Okay. So we just take a little light, you know, like, oh, well, we don't want the, this might be pretty hard, so we're just going to take a little light cut on the metal. Okay. And in doing that, we're actually oh. deforming the material under it, and the next cut, the tool just blows up because uh, now we have case hardened that material. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Squished it together tighter and... That's really cool. Entangled the defects to make it harder. Yeah. Cool. Generated new defects and tangled them all up, shoved them all up against grain boundaries. You can do this experiment at home with a paperclip. Just keep bending it back and forth, and it will harden until the point where it is brittle. Yep. Interesting. It's actually a really fun statistics thing to do with a classroom of kids. Give each of them a paperclip and have them count how many bends, and you get Mm. a bell curve. Pretty neat. <laughs> That's awesome. And they're like, okay, what's the point of this? 
Right. <laughs> um, all right. So we've we talked about annealing some. Uh, another way, and this is a common one in minerals, is by solid solution. All right. This is also in metallurgy known as alloying. Okay. Because you're mixing stuff together. You're and mixing stuff together. Mm-hmm. And that mixing of stuff together generally means that you have substitution defects. Okay. So you might put an atom that's a little bigger than what should be there. Or maybe you fill a void that's not normally filled with an atom of something. Something else. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that creates a defect, which makes materials harder. So hardness is all about defects. There's like a life lesson in that, but I'm just going to let it sit there for a minute. Right. <laughs> How um, interesting. Kind of related is precipitation hardening, which we actually get this in some of the stainless metals that we work with. Okay. You'll love this one because there's some magnetic correlations here, I think. It, precipitation hardening depends on the fact that solubility of different things, the solid solubility, changes with temperature for different materials. All right. Hmm. So instead of making a substitution, we are precipitating other stuff in the metal because of this temperature. So we can heat a metal and get certain things to precipitate out sooner. Okay. And create yeah. these big, massive roadblocks to defect movement. That is very interesting. I'm trying to envision the actual properties of this working. So the coolest part of this, in my mind, is you make something harder by adding impurities to it. Yeah, it's very counterintuitive, right? Yeah, I mean, iron, not very strong. Add a few other things mm -hmm. to it, you get steel. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Like carbon. Mm -hmm. And when you heat treat, a lot of times, if you don't do it in an inert atmosphere, if you heat treat a piece of steel, huh. yeah. carbon comes to the surface. It comes out with this black scaly material on it that's carbon. That's right. coming out of solution. Right. Which is crazy because we don't normally think about metal as a solution. Mm -hmm. uh, but really, we're, we're mixing up a big old batch of country time lemonade I, with precipitation hardening. Rocks are solutions, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> solid and solid solutions. Solution, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like the word of IGMET. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, any igneous rock is simply a solid solution. Mm-hmm. Man, it's all like coming together. This is very interesting. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you just took like five geology classes in this one one podcast that I'm going to assign all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. All right. And the last one, which I don't know how applicable it is to rock, so I'm not going to... 
dwell on it too long here because I've never heard it talked about anything other than metals. Um, the generic name is diffusionless transformation. I mean, it sounds like a metamorphic thing, but probably not. I'm sure there's an analog there. Yeah. Again, geophysicist. I never took IGMET. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what we normally think about this as martensitic steel. Yeah, I don't, I don't know this one at all. So there's austenite, or, yeah, austenite, and martensonite. And the difference is the size of the unit cell. Is it square or is it rectangle? Oh, all right. That and we can, we can do some very fun tricks to the metal to make the unit cell not cubic, and suddenly the material is much harder. So you hear thing you hear people talk about martensitic steels mm-hmm. that are very okay. hard steels. All right, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, so I mean, it's like counterintuitive to Igmet because that is all diffusion transformations, right? So this is interesting, just like making everything change shape without actual diffusion taking place. Right. Mm. Mm. Okay. That's cool. And with uh, metals, anyway, well, you can tell what temperature you got to just by the color of it. Now, with rocks, you're normally so hot, you're looking at black body radiation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's it's a little like bit of get... color problems in there, too, but yeah. Right. But um, not on these temperatures you're talking about. <laughs> right. And so you mentioned the word tempering. Mm-hmm. Generally, when people talk about tempering, they're talking about annealing, talking about bringing hardness back. Mm-hmm. Technically, anytime you modify the properties of a material by heating it, but not melting it, it's tempering. Okay. Gotcha. So rocks get tempered all the time, but you're mm-hmm. never going to hear anybody say that. <laughs> no, not even a little bit. I think right. of it in relation to samurai swords, obviously. But <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that guy on the, the Netflix show says it will kill when you bring him your sword that you made. <laughs> yeah, see? Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> right. Uh, interesting. This was all... Very illuminating. I mean, some people say it's a hard topic, but... Uh, I toughed it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really cool. Um, I'm learning a lot about the metals side of it now because we're getting into some high-stress applications where we need mm. things that are very strong and very tough, mm-hmm. which... I'm learning because, well, you know, we had somebody say, Hey, we need you to machine this part. It's already been hardened. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if we can machine it then. Like, we might have to anneal it, machine it, and harden it again. And then I go measure it, and it's like our Rockwell 43. Not that hard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we can machine it, no problem. It was harder than just plain old steel, mm-hmm. but it needed that ductility for the stresses it was going to be at. Gotcha. So I started to do a deep dive on some of this and learned a lot. 
uh, a lot of it made sense in a geological context, but now I'm learning more about metal solid solutions. It's pretty fascinating. That is super interesting, actually. Surely there are some metal solid solutions if you go to the interesting parts of the earth. Oh, I mean, you know, it is a big mm-hmm. metal ball deep down. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, I know what uh, what wiki hole of Google Scholar I'll be going down tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, now it's time to go down an entirely different wiki hole. <laughs> In everybody's favorite segment of the show, Fun Paper Friday. Yay. I will say, in our seven plus years of doing this show, you know, we get pretty good at being slightly off the cuff. Like today I said, I won't have anything to contribute to this topic. And you said, oh, you know more than you think. But when you send me a 30-page fun paper <laughs> 20 minutes before we were set to meet. <laughs> but also, you do know me because you said you can just read the first paragraph of every section and you'll get it. <laughs> it's true because this paper, it was wordy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I'll tell you what. They do a lot of... Okay, if you didn't understand it that way, let me explain it this way. And I quite appreciate that. I think that is an excellent, I mean, it covers all their bases, but also, like, that's an excellent way to teach. Like, that's, if you can't explain it more than one way, then you don't clearly know what you're talking about it. So I came out of this knowing that they definitely know what they're talking about. Well, also, I think it comes from the fact that the co-author list is the first 20 pages. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. And the reference list is the last 10. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to so, say these all? <laughs> uh, no. So this is from Flamingo Dance to Desirable Drug Discovery and Nature-Inspired Approach by Sanchez Rodriguez et al. et al. et al. Et al. <laughs> so many. And it's like 15. No, it's actually, it's seven different... Um, departments and universities. That's impressive. Well, and all over, too. I mean, I can only imagine the Google Doc. I mean, you're looking at Ecuador, Florida, Italy, Portugal, Portugal. Mexico. I know. Oh, man. The Zoom time zones must have been... This is really cool, though. Um, And it has a, albeit very crappily rendered, uh, picture abstract. So I thought that was graphical abstract, which is exactly why you probably chose it. No, so the reason I chose this paper is because I said, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to find for a fun paper for this week. My wife said, how about something on flamingos? Oh, my gosh. So I start going down the flamingo rabbit hole, and I decide the most interesting part of flamingos is the mating dance and selection process. (laughs) Give me those curvy beaks. Uh, basically, and then I found a paper that related the mating dance of the flamingo to discovery of new drugs and knew this had to be it. Ah, ah. Oh, thank you, Lindy. Um, this is fantastic, though. I will say that this whole thought process is mind-blowing to me. Like, this was great. Right. So you have a female flamingo who in this analogy is the chemist (laughs) 
she waits till she's six year old, six years old to be sexually mature. Birds grow yeah. are very long lived things, so you don't want a pet flamingo. That's a pet for life. Right. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> and this female flamingo watches males participating in this courtship dance, and she's evaluating their color, their neck their beat curvature, how they do this dance to try to find the most suitable male. I mean, this takes place in like the salt flats of the Turks and Caicos, but this could also be, you know, any local nightclub. Right. (laughs) Also called the Flamingo. Um, (laughs) So this chemist is watching a cohort of candidate compounds and trying to select (laughs) the best drug candidate. Mm-hmm. Or male flamingo to mate with. Exactly. This is so cool. So they're basically saying, well, this is what I got. You tell me, because I obviously didn't make it 30 pages in yet. Um, but it seemed like natural selection is at work when this flamingo is choosing her mate, right? And so evolution is going to bring out the best qualities in this case, you know, the perfect neck height, the color intensity and beak curvature. So evolution is providing this cause that's who that flamingo is going to choose to mate with. So why don't we use that same sort of thought process like this already natural occurring process to find these best drug candidates to optimize um, new drugs out of, different chemical compounds. Right. And they describe the approach that's used now as the inverted cone-shaped approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me describe to you what that looks like in reality. <laughs> you have an Excel spreadsheet that takes 10 minutes to open because it has 2 million rows. <laughs> and it's got different drug or different compounds and then a bazillion different properties of them rated on some arbitrary scale. And you say, I want to sort on how likely it is to make you have explosive diarrhea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I only want to keep the things that are only a little likely. And then we throw the rest out. And then you say, I want to sort on how likely is it to decrease the duration of a cold. And you throw a bunch out that way. And you keep doing this. Until you get to the one that you go, oh, well, that has to be the best. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that probably isn't the way we should approach it. That's not yeah. very natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because of the Excel spreadsheet, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we want some crazy 3D space Bayesian something, huh? Well, we want some in-dimensional thing. Uh, We want a multiple objective. So they call it multi-criteria optimization or MCO. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's lots of machine learning, neural network, adaptive learning, uh, genetic algorithm type approaches to this. Uh, Some of them are focused on the fact that you normally have multiple objectives. So your objective might be to reduce the length of a cold, but it's also 
another objective is to not give the patient explosive diarrhea. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Call back to fun paper a few weeks ago. <laughs> so how can you how can you do that? Um, they they said uh, seeing through the eyes of the female flamingo, they identified a few <laughs> unique features that you should have in your selection process. Mm-hmm. So, feature one, avoiding hard filters. Okay. So they say it's pretty harsh to use a two-category filter where you're going to be a zero or you're going to be a one. Mm-hmm. That's not what hardness is. We just talked about what hardness was for 30 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, great. So you don't you want them to be porous filters? <laughs> right. Okay. So you want them to have some sort of a shape to them. Like you don't want to say my hard cutoff is a 3% chance of giving my patient explosive diarrhea. <laughs> gotcha. Because some other thing may outweigh that, right? Exactly. What if it reduced the duration of your cold from two weeks to an hour, but you had massive diarrhea 50% (laughs) of the time? Uh, Totally worth it. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. Okay. So hard filters avoid trade-offs, and we know that engineering is full of trade-offs. Ah, everything's full of (laughs) trade-offs. Right. So you have to have some sort of a weight function or every... Every discipline calls it something different. It could be called a penalty function. It could be called an activation function. It could be called a weight function. It could be called an a priori distribution. You can call it whatever you want. You have to have some shape to your selection criteria. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. There's lots of thunder outside right now. <laughs> yeah, I hear it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> My cold speaking, was only an hour long. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of that explosive diarrhea. Um, so I want to shape, feature, shape my function. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. The second feature was adaptability. Okay. So this one was a little fuzzy, and I think that's why it was one of the longer sections. Is that instead of using sequential hard Boolean filters, mm-hmm. we need to be more flexible, which is kind of what feature one said. Right. But what their focus here is is you need to be able to adapt what you're looking for during the selection process. Hmm. If you're trying to optimize for the hmm. shortest cold, but you happen to find a solution that... Cures cancer. Make... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to throw that away. You, you probably shouldn't throw that one out because mm-hmm. it's probably good for something. So you gotcha. need to be able to change your criteria that you go oh yeah that's a potential drug it may not be a potential drug for what you're trying to do but it's a potential drug Mm -hmm. like i don't like how curvy that guy's bill is but it's pretty curvy and melinda flamingo loves that so exactly Mm -hmm. yeah uh the ability to deal with missing values and data uncertainty is feature three hmm this sounds like everything we do exactly (laughs) and also like how fluffy are his feathers going to be 10 years from now? <laughs> yep. Or, so that's data uncertainty. Or, well, 
the that flamingo is hidden behind some others and you can't really tell how curvy that beak is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. missing okay. values but everything yeah. else about him is great yeah look at those knobby knees <laughs> So maybe this particular compound, we can't predict how likely it is to make you have to go pee every five minutes. Mm-hmm. How do but. we deal with that? Do we say, well, we don't know? Or do we say, well, wh- what do we get from it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. 30-minute cold? Peeing the whole time? All right. Fine. You're already in the bathroom with your explosive diarrhea, so it's Okay. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> this is very and, interesting. Uh, okay. Feature four is solution ranking and virtual screening. All right. Like you don't want to so, make all the drugs to see how they work. Right. <laughs> People would stop participating in your trials. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So with this MCO approach, we're not trying to get to a compound. We don't get down to, yep, we're going to test dichloromethyl blah, 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 blah on a pool of 100 people and see what happens. We get mm-hmm. to a small pool of potential candidates. So we can, we can still rank them, but we don't necessarily say this one is the best because of its score. So uh, maybe the female yeah. flamingo says, well, this, this male has a curvier beak, but this male has pinker feathers. Man, I feel like there are so many correlations to like grading a test in this too. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a, I was just actually talking to my students about this because I feel like my test writing skills weren't on par for this last test. But it's true because I would get answers that I didn't expect. And it would be, of my 16 tests I'm grading, it would be, you know, on the fifth test. I'm like, you know what? I didn't expect this answer, but this person explained it in a way that I love it. Like, this works really well. And then you have to go back and say, okay, well, number one tried to say that, but I just marked it wrong right away because they didn't explain it correctly. But now I see this way of thinking. Like, that's what this reminds me of, this last point. Right. Yeah. So we would call this a Pareto optimization if we want to get mathematical. Oh, always. So okay. that means there is no... We've talked about Pareto solution fronts before. Mm-hmm. I was there say, is familiar. no optimal solution. There is a family of solutions that all have the same... If like, let's say we pick some benefit score. They all have the same benefit score... But there's different trade-offs. So maybe something that reduces your cold to two days but has a 0% chance of nasty side effects has the same benefit score as something that reduces your cold to an hour but you pee the whole time. Right. Mm -hmm. Where on this solution front do you want to be? Because if we're just narrowing it down with this Boolean yes-no, yes-no, 21 questions type game, you're only going to get one answer. Whereas here, you get an answer front. That's cool. I like that. I think that most of my students would argue for this on stuff that they got wrong, too. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, of course, they test this out by using machine learning. 
Right. They, they use a support vector machine because we have to we have to throw the buzzwords in. Yes. Yes. Um, I'll leave that part. We've talked about machine learning. We've talked about support vector machines. That's not the interesting part of this paper to me. Okay. The the interesting part was. Well, one, that that's how drug selection has been done traditionally. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And two, this can be applied to me to geophysics super directly. Yes. Think about a gravity survey. You yep. always go on about how gravity surveys <sighs> are non-unique. Non-unique solutions. And so now you're going to give me a solution front where it could be a buried metal pipe or... The core of the earth squeezing up in between some fraction. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and they both have the same score. They both look exactly alike. <laughs> oh, go back to your batteries. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I mean, in geophysics, it's all a trade-off. And how do we evaluate those solutions? How do we pick which one is the, the right, in quotes, solution? Mm-hmm. You ask your geologist what you do well you you talk to your geologist and they look at your models and say well this one though it mathematically works is not how the earth works (laughs) uh this one is a pipe that's buried two feet underground we don't care because that's a civil engineer's job and we're geologists (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they help you narrow down that front until you get to a set of useful potential possible solutions and then you pick which one to mate with and write a paper (laughs) and you get to draw some awesome flamingos in (laughs) in powerpoint (laughs) and it takes about six years oh man that's a lot of pages this is a very interesting and it's like you know i pick a lot of medical ones so i was very surprised that you'd pick this medical one but when i started reading it i was like no this this makes a lot of sense. I think everyone should have to read this a couple of times because it takes a while to digest. <laughs> Though not as much as our one about removing Legos versus adding Legos. <laughs> that was, yeah. That was really All right, good. Excuse me. Removing versus adding or adding Lego <laughs> before I get a flooded <laughs> email inbox. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my Lord. Oh, on that note. (laughs) Yeah, well, if you would like to send us corrections uh, or you have any thoughts on toughness, hardness, uh, or how thick our heads are, how plastically (laughs) deformed they've been over these years of doing the show, Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? Send that huge Excel file to John at show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Don't Panic Geo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at Geo underscore Lehman. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping us going. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do so. Patreon.com slash Don't Panic Geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.